Welcome to Spoke. I'm your host, Scott Crawford, and uh, joining me today is an old friend, Jim Saw. Uh, Jim's a photographer, film editor, and producer, and, and now an author of an upcoming book called In My Eyes. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so Jim, you know, full transparency, we've known each other now, what, uh, almost 40 years? No. Yeah, going on 40 years. Yeah. 35, yeah. something like yeah, that. Definitely. Um, I, I first uh, first called you um, when you were working at uh, a record store, and I wanted uh, your top 10 for my fanzine, and, and I wanted to use some of your photos. Um, right. And uh, I remember that. Yeah. You sounded, uh, you sounded 12 because you were. <laughs> I was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I was. Um, I think that's why I, you know, must have had the balls to, to be able to do that because I think at that age, you just don't really, you're not entirely self-aware. So you just kind of just go, Oh, okay. Well, I don't know uh, how you track me down because I always tell that story too. You called me at waxy maxis, this record store I worked at. And obviously it was way before cell phones or anything. So you must have done some sleuthing and tracked me down. I did. I did some digging. Um, I was trying to think. I was thinking about that the other day, and I can't. Rem- I want to say it may have been Ian that gave me your number. It was yeah. somebody because I remember I was collecting top tens from a number of different people, um, and so it, it may have been Alec McCoy. I don't know, but it was one of the people that gave me their top ten. Gave me your phone number. So huh. that's yeah. cool. Um, and now here we are all these years later, we've done two films together. Um, you've served as director of photography on both as well as the editor on, um, on salad days. Um, but let's kind of go back to, uh, to the beginning what kind of, um, got you interested? What, like, what was the path that you took that got you into, um, going to punk rock shows? I, I, I always loved music. I have a bunch of older brothers and sisters that, you know, there was a, a lot of cool records in the house. Um, you know, Beatles, Stones, Bob Dylan, the Woodstock soundtrack, some, you know, Springsteen, like just a bunch of stuff that I would check out. Um, Lou Reed, Actually, I don't know who in my family liked Lou Reed, but Street Hassle was in the house. And I just looking at that cover and thinking like, what's, what's up, what's up with this, you know? And, um, so I was sort of in the music, but I, I didn't have any idea about punk rock. I was just kind of liked my older brother's music. And then, uh, one day we were some bored suburban kids and we decided to go down to see Rocky horror picture show at the midnight show in Georgetown. How'd you do, I? See you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little broad guy because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung out by the way I so, look. Um, I had no idea, but Ian McKay worked there, and 
Johnny or um, Danny Ingram uh, would DJ before the movie started. So he, he would play, you know, punk rock stuff. People would dance in front of the screen and then, you know, the movie would start and all the mayhem would go on with that. Um, but that, that music just really uh, blew my mind. I mean, Danny was playing a lot of, and I didn't know any of these people at the time. I found out later who it was, but he was playing a lot of British stuff like the Stranglers and the Buzzcocks and some New York 70s like Ramones. And and I was just like, what is this music, you know? And I immediately, when I got home, went out to my local record store and just asked them, you know, luckily record stores back then, you know, there were all these old heads drinking beer and stuff. And, you know, I would just ask them about stuff and, you know, they, they turned me on the stuff and I bought, you know, I just, it was all interesting to me. So I just bought like, I think my first two singles from Joe's record paradise in, uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland was, the Dead Kennedys, Nazi punks, fuck off. And Don't You Want Me Baby by The Human League. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was not, I was just like, I was just like, whatever, like lay it on me. I, I was not sure. discerning. You know, so what, the, the Rocky Horror thing, like I never got that. Maybe I was too young. Maybe I just, so, but I can see where that would be potentially kind of, especially given the fact that it was at Georgetown theater. And so you had a lot of the Georgetown punks. You probably saw some of them, but what like helped me understand the Rocky horror appeal. Like you go there, like you throw shit at the screen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mayhem. People have a great time. I, I just, I don't know. So tell me. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was done before I got into it. I mean, it was like big in the, mid late seventies. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't done. People were still going and doing that shit, but it was just kind of old news at that point, but it was new to us. This was like 19 late 81, maybe early 82. And, um, you know, it was just fun. I mean, it was, it was late at night and some of us could drive and we would go down there. We wouldn't really, drink or anything um not because you know we were you know straight edge or anything we just didn't have a way to get alcohol or or whatever and so we would just go down there and i don't know who had the idea initially but we just decided to go once and um enjoyed it it was fun just because it was different and in addition to the the music they played before, we, you know, we liked the movie. We liked yelling stuff at the screen and, and throwing stuff. And we even got kind of into it. We would start dressing up. Me and a couple of friends would dress up and act out shit. So you would do this regularly. This was something that you were, you didn't just do once. No, definitely not once, but you know, not a, not a ton of times. I can't right. remember exactly, but I I would think we did it at least 
half a dozen, maybe 10 times or something. Right. Right. So, all right. So from there, you, you, you're discovering music and then at some point you discover, you know, some of this music is in, happening in your, in your backyard. Um, it's kind of, yeah, how it that's works. the thing that really, that's what the guys at the record store hit me yeah. to because I went there and I'm like, you know, Oh, oh like this band, the, uh, you know, stranglers or whoever I heard down there. And they're like, uh, yeah, we got this. We're like, you know, there's, a, there's local bands. And I'm like, oh, there's local punk bands. And they, um, I think they mentioned Discord and said there's a bunch of bands on here. And I really quickly discovered Minor Threat. They were the first show. It was Minor Thread GI and someone else at um, uh, University of Maryland. And uh, that was the first punk, local punk rock show I saw. It was in 1982. And I didn't take pictures because I didn't really know what the deal was. I just went with a friend and uh, loved it. What was that like? I mean, I I remember what mine my first show i was just sort of in just in awe of what was going on i mean what about you you walked into the room and what and yeah it was a big it it wasn't uh it was like in the student union i think it was a, yeah. a stage in a a pretty big room a pretty uh relatively high stage for some of the other punk rock venues i would visit after that and uh you know i i might have bought a minor threat single before i saw them most likely i did and um so i knew a couple of the songs and the um it was just so exciting because of uh the music was so different and so intense and everyone seemed to be into it and you know the dancing and the stage diving and the and stuff is something i've never seen before some people would go some photographers ended up going to punk rock shows just because they heard about this weird thing and they were sort of outsiders and they you know uh you know took photos and stuff but they weren't part of it they weren't really interested in it they just thought it was weird and interesting but i was you know, I was totally into it and I didn't think this, I don't remember really being like enamored with the stage diving and stuff. I just thought it was really cool that so many people were so into it. Right. Right. The energy, the energy. And, and it was immediately, I felt the camaraderie and the community around it. And, uh, then when I started going to shows at other places like the old 930 club and uh, just weird places, Wilson center um, space Two arcade, which is just Chinese restaurant that had an arcade machines in the, you know, in the back room and a, and a little riser stage. Um, 
you know, people would walk outside if it was summer and because it was hot and they would, between bands, everyone would hang out outside and talk about their band or the next show or their fanzine. And it was just like, I found this new world that I was really interested in. So you start to photograph these bands and thank God you did because, you know, you, you captured, you know, truly iconic images, um, you know, bands, you know, like, especially the minor threat ones, the Fugazi photos. I mean, um, I don't know if people know, but you, you know, you, that shot of Guy on repeater, that's you. Um, mm-hmm. Basically any of those classic shots of, of, of minor threat and any of those early DC hardcore bands, um, you really captured the energy and the, and the kind of um, just the electricity um, in the room. But I always wondered, um, cause I, you know, I would, I was younger. I didn't have a good camera, but I would bring a camera just to capture stuff. Um, some shitty camera, but didn't you ever just want to go nuts? Didn't you ever want to just put the camera down and just say, fuck this, this, I love this song and I'm going to just, you know? Yeah, it's funny. That's a good question. And like my friends would say, my friends that I went with that like to, you know, slam dance or whatever, dive off the stage. Um, they would say, leave your camera at home and just enjoy the show. But like, I was enjoying the show, taking right. pictures. Like I right. really wanted to take pictures. Right. And I, I, uh, you know, nowadays uh, with digital stuff and phones, everyone's like, you know, you're looking, you're watching it through a screen and it's right there in front of you. And I, you know, I agree with that, but it wasn't like that back then. I mean, you had, you had a roll or two of film. So you had a finite amount of pictures to take. You had to really pay attention to what was going on to, to get the moment and the good shot. So I was really concentrating on the show. I was thinking about the songs. I was listening to the songs. I was waiting for the break. Certain moments. Yeah. Yeah, Where I knew someone would jump or, or do something. Like I remember those shows better because I was taking pictures of them because I was like concentrating on it. And occasionally I wouldn't bring my camera and yeah, I'd jump around and and have fun with my friends. But ultimately I usually felt bad that I didn't bring my camera because I would see something that I hadn't seen before and I wanted to capture it or something like that. So um, you know, now that I'm old and decrepit, you know, I want, I still want to take my camera to a show, but I just don't want to carry it. So let's talk about this book because, um, it's called, uh, in my eyes. And I'm so glad you're finally doing this. I've been telling you to do it for as long as I can remember. Um, and, and I know it's no, yeah. I, I know it's no easy task to put together to try and, you know, uh, search through all your photos and, and, and whittle them down to, to the ones that, you know, uh, you think are, are the best. Um, but, but tell us a little bit about the, the process of, of putting the, of putting the book together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, you have been telling me to do that for decades and, and other people have too. And I, I wanted to, but as you say, it's a lot of work 
and I, you know, I had a job and I had a couple kids and it just, you know, I thought about self-publishing, but then, you know, that was even more work if I had to distribute and all that stuff. And, you know, there's some indie publishers, a lot of punk people put stuff out on Akashic, like, like we did Spoke. Um, but Spoke was like when, when you decided to do Spoke, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm not probably not going to do a book. I've waited this long, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not going to do it. So I'll just, uh, you know, I had the front and the back cover of Spoke and I had, you know, probably a third of the pictures in it. And I was like, this can be my thing, you know, um, you know, you did a good job putting it together and designing it. And it, and I was like, all right, you know, maybe this will scratch that itch. But then when you and I got invited to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, to show Salades in a, uh, a, a music film festival they were having, I met this guy, young young guy, um, Ariel Pukatz, and he is a, owns an independent publishing company, and uh, he reached out to me. He's friends with the guy that was doing the uh, the uh, film festival, and he reached out to me and said, "Hey, can we do? You want to do a little fanzine as a companion to the film festival? It'll be like a chapbook, and I can uh, sell it." at the, uh, you know, at the film festival and stuff. And I said, sure, you know, why not? It was, I did a, a couple of interviews. They, you know, put a lot of my photos in it. It was in Spanish because it was going to be distributed throughout Latin America. It looked good. He did a good job. The designer was good. And then when we got back, he said, you know, we should do a book, a, a real, you know, book of your stuff. And I said, sure, you know, because half the battle of doing a project like this is doing it with someone you like. So it's fun and it's not a pain in the ass. And I like this. Uh, I mean, I call him a kid. He's like 33 years old, but, you know, um, and it's we started the process. I, you know, typically what you would expect, I just. Luckily, I scanned all my stuff about, I knew that I wanted it, you know, scanned. It was probably 10 years before I even started this process. I just scanned it all in. And luckily, I did it high res. And right. they were good good scans with a good scanner. And so that was a, a huge part of it that was already done. And I just started going through stuff, narrowing it down, narrowing it down showing stuff to Ariel, um, you know, then he got uh, a designer and uh, started laying it out. And Yeah, so you're looking to do some events this summer, I would imagine. Yeah, the book yeah. should be out in uh, hopefully July 1st. We'll probably We'll probably have copies before that, sometimes in June, but we'll probably be ready to start doing stuff and having events and selling it probably by July 1st. And Got it. 
Uh, I hope to have an exhibit and a book event here in DC at Lost Origins Gallery and in July and uh, you know other book events, uh, politics and prose, different books, independent uh, or smaller bookstores here. So I noticed that a, a lot of the photos you do such great live photography. Um, but I noticed that you had less portraits than you did live. Was that by design? Was that something that you wanted the, the book to reflect? Yeah. I mean, I included some candids, but, you know, like um, in Mackay sitting backstage in Berlin, you know, um, before I happened to see them in Berlin because I was just traveling. Yeah, we were staying at this like squat. Some friends told us we could stay at, and I told the guy, I was like, one of the guys there, I said, We're gonna go see our friend's band tonight because they're playing in town. And he said, Fugazi, we all go see Fugazi. <laughs> I was like, All right, well, I'll see you there. And it was in this weird circus tent in like the former East Berlin. We had to walk under the Brandenburg gate, like to get there. It was, it was nuts. But anyway, yeah, photos like that, I would, you know, candids and stuff. I did take a lot of publicity photos of bands Mm -hmm. over the years, um, studio shots and stuff. Um, I did include some of that stuff, but um, not a lot. I think, uh, I'm not really, I don't know if it was a conscious decision. I think I was just caught up with the energy of the live stuff. And there was only, I mean, the book is huge. It's like 380 pages and it's a, it's 12 by 12. It's like a big coffee table size book. And um, there's only so much stuff. So I thought I'd rather have the the live stuff. So I got to ask what um, you've shot so many goddamn bands over the years, name one band that you thought were going to be amazing live. And we're really looking forward to shooting. <laughs> and then they ended up just sucking. Oh God. That's a fucked up question. It is a fucked up question. Cause I got to throw someone under the bus. Let me think. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, can't somebody, be anyone I'm friends with. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody you don't know. Um, I know a couple of bands that I had no expectations of and were blown away, like Naked Raygun. Oh, they were phenomenal live. Yeah. I never heard of them before. And they yeah. opened for uh, someone and I was just like, what the fuck? This band is awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw public image because they were because minor threat opened for them at Richie Coliseum and minor threat wasn't playing a lot of shows. So we paid $12 to go see minor threat, which (laughs) was was an outrage. Yeah. Yeah. Sellouts. Yeah. And of course we stayed for pill. I didn't not like them and I like the sex pistols and stuff, but I just was, I was probably in that stage of I'm hardcore, not punk, you know, it's gotta be hardcore. Um, I didn't, I wasn't like that way for long, but I definitely was a short period where I was like, you know, fuck these old British has-beens, you know, (laughs) but the show kind of sucked. I mean, he stood there with his back to the audience and there was no energy. 
And after Minor Threat played, it like even kind of sucked more. Right. You know? Right. Um, I mean, imagine going on, even if you're pill. Well, yeah, I'm not the biggest pill fan, but imagine, you know, having to go on after Minor Threat. It's like, yeah, yeah to, a no, I, to a local I mean, audience. I, I mean, probably a lot of the people that went there might not have been from that familiar with Minor Threat, but um, I didn't have high expectations, but um, they definitely disappointed me. You've got two kids um, and they're both now or that are I they, know of. Yeah, that you're aware of. Um, Just kidding. Uh, I'm not. Um, what? Uh, so, are they both in their 20s now? Yep, the younger okay. one is 21 or 20. Can't remember. 22 and 24. That's what I thought. Okay, so um, you know they're both. I've seen their bands. I've seen you know they're both um, not just um, amazing musicians in their, uh, but they're also um, you know socially um conscious and out there and they're and I see you know some of the posts about um you know some of the things that they're really passionate about um many of which I think uh you are as well so what how did um just kind of coming out of punk rock specifically maybe even DC or maybe DC is not a part of it but how did that inform you raising your kids yeah that's a good question. I and I'm proud of them for that. Um, Marco, the younger one, started playing drums when I just noticed that he could dance to the beat as a very small child, um, which most kids usually just flail around when music is on. And I uh, got him a little drum set. It was a little bit more than a toy and really learned how to play a, uh, a you know, a four, four rock beat like pretty fast. And so it just started from there and he's an amazing drummer. He's been in several bands. He's in uh, just finishing college now in new Orleans, went to music school. He uh, is in a, a band down there he was in a band called cool baby here that was kind of kind of indie um i don't know when you describe them it's it they were fun it doesn't sound good but it they did but they it were fun well they yeah did. i mean yeah they were they wrote good songs and it yeah. was it was kind of a there was a rap and a hip-hop element to it and they had a, a sax player and yeah, a trumpet player in the band. So there was a little bit of jazz, a little bit of indie rock, a little bit of hip hop. And, um, but all done tastefully and well. Um, Jasper was also in a band called Small Dad, which. Were they, uh, they were named after you? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know where they got that name. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not particularly big. Um, but, uh, I don't know. There was a whole, when they named that band, there was a, like soccer mom and tall sister. There was a lot of band names like that. Um, Got it. so I don't know it, uh, but they did, they had some really good indie, indie rock songs. A couple of their songs on Spotify has got like, uh, 
hundreds of thousands of plays and stuff, which is um, which is very cool. Um, they are both politically active. Uh, Jasper more than Marco, and Jasper I think got Marco into it uh, more. I mean, I'm a Palestinian American. So Palestine and the politics around that has always been in our house. And they sort of uh, took to that being uh, proud, you know, Palestine. And Jasper just took it to new levels. Uh, they're part of a, uh, uh, a social, uh, uh, political uh organization called PSL um, and uh, uh, it's party of socialism and liberation. And uh, it's sort of modeled after like the black Panthers mm -hmm. uh, it's in Philadelphia. They have mm -hmm. a liberation center where people can come and use computers and they have this whole uh, system where they uh, deliver food to the elderly and and it's just a a great thing they're musicians they're free thinkers and to answer your question how did punk rock inform that i think it informed it incredibly because i other than being palestinian as a kid and and knowing what was up with that i wasn't very uh i mean as a young kid you know you're just not informed of things and the punk rock uh, movement got me protesting apartheid in South Africa uh, at the South African embassy in DC. Right. Uh, lyrics of Gang of Four or right. Dead Kennedys just got me thinking, what are they talking about? You know, like, um, so it got me looking into things and becoming more aware or woke, if you will, for a right. uh, newer term for that. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, w I'm with you there. I mean, I, I, one of the first singles I bought was uh, stiff little fingers, alternative Ulster, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, so immediately, and then I was DOA and dead Kennedys. And so you're immediately struck by, you know, the, the, the issues that they're talking about. I of course didn't fully understand them, but it made me, the songs were so goddamn good. It made me want it to understand what it is. So that was sort of, you know, so to me, um, punk and politics are, you know, go hand in hand. And, and I never mm -hmm. understand people that don't quite under get that, mm -hmm. but that's a whole other right. discussion. Um, you can't separate them. Oh, but can you, but uh, yeah, <laughs> re reference from the cream documentary. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, but in addition to, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but, um, you've traveled the world. So in addition to, you know, shooting bands, you've also done a lot of travel photography. I have, I love it. I've been to all over the Middle East. I've been to Lebanon and Syria and Palestine and Jordan, and I've been, uh, all over Eastern Europe and Western Europe. In all your travels, is there a particular photo that left sort of an indelible mark on you in some way? There was a lot in in um, 
in Palestine that affected me because, um, you know, when I was, I, I've been there several times, well, three times, uh, in 92, 94, and 2007. And, you know, 92 was the beginning of like the Oslo Accords and stuff, which, you know, we won't get into that, but there was this, a glimmer of hope for a second. Right. And um, I saw people, uh, you know, feeling like they had uh, a little bit of hope, a, a little bit of agency to their own life. And then I went back in 94 and it, it already had turned to shit, basically. And and then it just, you know, continued to get worse and worse and worse and even worse under the Trump administration. And, you know, uh, the current administration is no better. Right. Right now, uh, there's basically genocide going on right now where settlers have been energized and and uh, feel like they can just go on killing rampages in East Jerusalem, which is the Arab part of Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, so... It's daily. Yeah, yeah, it's daily and it's nonstop. And uh, so I took pictures there in in 94, which I still look at and are moved by of people just being, you know, oppressed or uh, a whole hillside of settlements built illegally on Palestinian uh, land in the West Bank or what what's occupied territory, which it's uh, international war crime to build uh, settlements on in, on uh, occupied territory. Uh, but they've continued to do that and it's been condoned by the U.S. And, uh, you know, and I was in Beirut, like just a, about a year after the Civil War was over and I took this picture that I put on the cover of a fanzine I did called Uno Mas of uh, the whole downtown Beirut was just bombed out. All the buildings were uh, bullet ridden and, and bombed out. Like you could see the facades were all gone. You could see all the floors and inside the buildings. And there was just this boy that was probably about nine years old just running around the rubble, covered in dust and ash, naked. And uh, I just came upon this kid, and I, you know, God knows where his his parents were or anything. And he just stopped, and I took a picture of him. And he was just kind of someone else brought this to my attention later, but he was like pinching himself when I took the picture. Kind of like someone noted that it was. It's kind of like pinching himself to like wake up from this nightmare that he's in. And um, that picture is very, very moving. If you were to choose one of the punk rock photos that you shot over the last 30 or so years, which one sort of defines punk for you and why? Oh. Well, the first one that comes to mind is a photo that's been around a bit 
we used it in Salve's, it's in Spoke. It's a shot <clears throat> of Minor Threat of Ian Mackay at Wilson Center on the stage singing, but he's not on the stage, he's on a mound of people. There's so many people on the stage, he's on top of these people, He's still singing, but the mic is nowhere to be found. And that, to me, exemplifies punk rock because all the shows I went to before I discovered punk rock were at a big venue, an arena, where the musicians are small down there on this stage, and you're sitting in your seat, and you're an observer. But with punk, you were a participant. And uh, the camaraderie, the community, the, the joy of these people singing along on the stage and Ian just on top of them singing, that photo is probably one of the the ones that I think really exemplifies punk for me without you taking the time and lugging, you know, all that camera equipment and, 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 and uh, avoiding people kicking you in the face and stage divers mm-hmm. and everything else, you know, uh, the world would be, uh, you know, wouldn't have your photos. So, so thank you for that. And thanks for joining me today. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Always happy to talk to you. Thanks, my friend, and uh, we will uh, we will talk soon. And thank you for listening to Spoke in this week's episode uh, with Jim Saw. Music provided by the Treasury Department and sponsored by Kachunk Records, East Coast's finest indie record store located in Annapolis, Maryland. See you next week.